0: Luke chapter 8 verse 40. Are you there? The last phrase of chapter 7, if you were to go to the last phrase of chapter 7, it says your faith has saved you. In fact, in the King James Bible, it actually says that thy faith has saved thee. And chapter 8 picks up where this statement leaves off as it addresses the topic of faith almost entirely. In verses 5 through 21, we see teaching about faith. In verses 22 through 56, we see the testing of faith. Romans ten seventeen says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the Word of God. While verses 22 through 56 deals with actually heeding the Word of God. Any time that I bring up heeding the Word of God, I am reminded of James chapter one, verse 21 through 27 that actually says, "Let us be doers of the Word." In fact, it says, "Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted Word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the Word, and not just hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Amen? Amen. I, uh, I can honestly say that, that I, I don't come into the sanctuary uh, to, to just be a hearer of the word. But in all honesty, I would say that there are times that I come into the sanctuary and, and I walk out just a hearer only and I deceive myself. And that's reality. That's not the goal that I have, obviously, but it certainly does happen. Verse 40 says, So it was when Jesus returned that the multitude welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And behold, there came a man, jo- Jairus, Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue and he fell down at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house for he had an only daughter about 12 years of age and she was dying but as he went the multitude thronged him. Now a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years had spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any came from behind and touched the border of his garment, and immediately her flow of blood stopped. And Jesus said, who touched me? When all denied it, Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitude strong impress you, and you say, who touched me? But Jesus said, somebody touched me, for I perceive power going out of me. Now, when the woman saw that, that she was not hidden, she came trembling. And falling down before him, she declared to him in the presence of all the people and the reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said to her daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house saying to him, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him, saying, Do not be afraid, only believe, and she will be made well. When he came into the house, he permitted no one to go in except Peter, James, and John, and the father and mother of the girl. Now all wept and mourned for her, but he said, Do not weep, she is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him, knowing that she was dead, But he put them all outside, took her by the hand, and called, saying, Little girl, arise. Then her spirit returned, and she arose immediately. And he commanded that she be given something to eat. And her parents were astonished, but he charged them to tell no one what had actually happened. We see here in verse 40, it says, So it was when Jesus returned to the... That return that the multitude welcomed him, for they were all waiting. The first question that we have to ask ourselves is: Is where did Jesus return from? And so we know that Jesus had actually returned from Capernaum, that and because that was actually his his head or he yeah yeah, and Capernaum was his headquarters actually. we see that the people welcomed Jesus when he returned, especially a man and a woman who had heavy burdens to share with Jesus. The contrast here is interesting. There's a big contrast. For it shows the diverse group of people who came to Jesus for help. The man's name, Jarius, which actually, which is intriguing to me, it actually means Jehovah enlightens. So his name means Jehovah enlightens, and by the end of this chapter, guess what happens? Jehovah enlightens him. Jesus, Jesus, excuse me, and the woman was anonymous. Jairus was a wealthy man who was a leading citizen and a ruler of the synagogue. The woman was a lowly person who had spent all of her money trying to get well. Here was a man interceding for his child and a woman hoping to help for herself. And both came to the feet of Jesus. And what's intriguing is we know that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Whether you're poor or you're rich, it's exactly the same level. Jairus had been been blessed with 12 years of joy with this daughter. In fact, his one and only child, while the woman experienced experienced 12 years of suffering and tragedy and misery and affliction. And of course, now she's actually hoping to get well. So in verse 41, it says, And behold, there came a man, Jairus. Jairus. You know that I said, and the reason why I keep saying that is for a long time, in fact, all the way up until I studied this text, I'm just going to be honest with you, I always called him Jairus. Jairus. Jairus, and it's Jairus. So if I keep stumbling over, I do apologize. I'm trying to retrain my my thinker, actually. When it says, and behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue, and he fell down at Jesus' feet and, and begged him to come down to his house. This word behold actually indicates two things. Number one, we should listen And the second one is we should actually think about what is getting ready to happen. So here we have this ruler of the synagogue who is showing up at Jesus' feet. And for those of you that might be Bible scholars in here, you know that the Jews were already thinking about putting Jesus to death. So here is a ruler of a Jewish synagogue who's actually coming to Jesus it's kind of countercultural, actually. Kind of like it is for us if we're truly walking out our faith. The ruler of the synagogue, he was, an, he was the elder in charge of the public services and the care of the facilities. His responsibilities included a lot of things, and I want to share, share those with you. They were custodial. He kept the synagogue locked, clean, cared for. He would be the one that cared for the Torah. So that was the book that they taught of, the scroll that they would read from on every Sabbath day. The Torah was locked away in a special cabinet. He would be the one to order the service and appointed people to pray, read the Torah, and give sermons. He would invite invite guest rabbi speakers or priests or Levites to come to present a message on the Sabbath day. He would speak on occasion when there was no one else to speak. Every once in a while, that actually happens here at Christ Community Fellowship. Um, By the way, thank God for Marcus's teaching and Pablo. I've heard that they've done a terrific job, and I do want to say Marcus is absolutely doing a phenomenal job at the Christian Aid Center. He's he's teaching the men the Word of God, and, and and I want to share this, man. They love you, bro. And so we're so grateful that you're there and praise God for what he's doing in your life. Um, he, he, He held great respect in the community. He presided over the elders of the synagogue and was generally a man of reputation and of wealth. When I read that, I am challenged by my own leadership abilities. I have to ask myself is, number one, is what am I doing not only in the church, but what am I doing at my place of employment and or in my own home as being in the spiritual head? And or what am I doing in my community to, to, to win and make disciples of Christ? Some scholars believe that Jairus knew, by the way, some scholars, so I'm not saying all scholars. Some scholars believe that Jairus knew Jesus well, and that he would occasionally speak at this particular synagogue. When I found that, I thought, man, that's a nugget. Anyway, so, anyway, let's move on. Verse 42, for he had an only daughter about 12 years of age, and she was dying, but the multitudes thronged him. But the multitudes thronged him. I know there's one family in here. I can't speak for for a lot, but but I want to share that this story is near and dear to my heart. And you're probably going, well, what are you saying, John? It's because I can identify because I've been this parent. Only my daughter wasn't resurrected, okay. And I know there's another family in the in the church. There might be more of you, but the story still gives me hope. And you know, the neat thing is, is as I look forward, when, 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 when I walk through that gate in heaven, that my little girl's going to be there and she's going to meet me and she say, Daddy, welcome home. I have that hope. I will tell you in my own life, it was one of the most difficult things that I had ever gone through. And I'm grateful for God's mercy and grace and for the assurance that he gives me every single day that I just need to keep my focus on him. So anyway, going back to this text, and and by the way, I have other kids. I want to bring that up. Madison, Madison Rain was my youngest. And then I have Ashley, who's 25, and Wesley, who's 23, and Tanner, who's 21. And they're all working full-time, doing really well back in Indiana, back home in Indiana. So I just wanted to throw that out there. So it wasn't like it was my one and only daughter. But could you imagine what it would be like? to have your one and only child sick and dying. Sick and dying. No resources, no religion is going to fix the problem. And so here this ruler of the synagogue is actually going against what the Jews are saying about this Jesus. He goes running to Jesus and he begins to plead with him to come and heal his daughter. In verse 43, it says, Now a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years who had spent all her livelihood on physicians who could not be healed by any came from behind and touched the border of his garment and immediately her flow of blood stops. When I read this text, I, I think about the thronging crowd. And I also think about my own life and how there was a time that I was part of the thronging crowd. You know, kind of being swayed by the crowds. But what's intriguing is there was hundreds, if not thousands, that were thronging Jesus. But in this text, notice that the only one Jesus recognized was the one who touched the hem of his garment. See? Flesh throngs. Faith touches. That is where the Lord wants us all to be. She came actually from behind him and touched him. I want to read out of Mark, and I I want to remind you that this particular story is written in three Gospels. It's not in the book of John it's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and I want you to know that we that that Luke is a physician. So it's going to be natural for. Is there any a physician in here? I want to make sure I qualify. <laughs> that 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 he kind of gives this text. Uh, he he makes it sound kind of nice because he is a physician. But let's read out in Mark chapter five, verses twenty one through twenty three. Now when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea, and behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue come, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My daughter lies at the point of death. Come, lay your hands on her that she might be healed, and she will live. I always try to put it in my notes. I I actually didn't clip out part of it. Sorry about that. So Jesus, verse 24, so Jesus went with him and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years. And this is the point that I want to kind of highlight here. And had suffered many things from many physicians. Physicians. You guys see the language difference? Luke was being kind because he was a physician. Mark ain't being so kind. Notice, notice that he said it was the physician's fault she was in the situation she was actually in. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment, for she said, "If I only if I... Only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately, the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. I want to move back up to verse 26 and talk a little bit about that text. It says that she spent all that she had and was no better, but grew worse. I can't speak for anybody else but me, but I can tell you in my own life, I sought all to fix what was going on inside of me. And do you know, all left me empty and nothing would heal the condition that I had of my heart until I finally touched the hem of Jesus' garment. And I want you to know It's not just that touching it once, but it's actually holding on to it and not letting it go. And you know, there's times actually in my walk, man, I kind of let it go. You know what I mean? In fact, I would say I kind of let it go. And what begins to happen is, in fact, I would say sometimes even after I leave church on Sunday and Monday comes, I begin to hemorrhage. Because, see, this picture is not just talking about this medical condition, but it's talking about the conditions of our hearts and how we can hemorrhage through our week because we ain't touching the hem of Jesus' garment. And we're not holding on to it. And, folks, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. And you know, one of the one, I, I was raised up in a Calvary chapel, okay? I was licensed in Calvary chapel. And I'm not like tooting Calvary Chapel's horn, but one of the things that I got, got in me was, you got to be in the Word. You got to be in the Word. And so for me, being in the Word is not, it's, it's, not, it's food. It's, it's like, you know, I eat my breakfast in the morning. I just get the Word in me. Now, I will be honest with you. Sometimes I'm just a hearer only deceiving myself. Okay? Sometimes God takes me deep if I want to go deep, but sometimes I don't want to go deep. Sometimes I like to stew in my stuff. Can anybody say amen to that? Yeah? And then my wife goes, honey, uh, did you worship? (laughs) Did you spend time with the Lord? but the reality of it is, is is he wants us to hold on to him. And so my the first question that I have for you is are you holding on to him? I've said it before and I'll say it again that that I've been in the ministry for some years and one of the things that 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 I I enjoy doing it's not just here in this church but but just studying the church and not one specific church but the church and looking at at the way they do church and and when I have not just people in my life and I look at these different models and and oftentimes I can see thriving Christians and and the question I have to ask is why? Why and how are you thriving? And folks, it's real simple. It's because they're holding on to the hem of Jesus' garment. They're spending time in his word. They're spending time in prayer, and, 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 and family, if there was one thing that I could drive home, it is absolutely crucial, okay, and Matt did not put me up to this. It is absolutely crucial that you are in relationship with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Fellowship, and I'm not talking about the, the drive-by hellos here in the sanctuary. Hey, how you doing? You know, bless Denise, praise God for what, what, what God's doing in her life. But she came by and I said, well, how's your ankle? She told me, and I'm, I'm, I'm excited about that, but that's the only few words through the week that I will share with her and then her husband too. Hey, Chip, how you doing, man? God wants us to be in fellowship, okay? And I want to get back to the text he wants us to be in fellowship. So thriving Christians that I know, and when I study and I look at the different church models out there, the ones that are thriving in, are in prayer. They're in the Word, and they are in fellowship. of fellowship. They are becoming intimate with one another. They are sharing their innermost self, not in the way that I would do to my wife, but in the way that a man should do to a man or a woman should do to a woman. And, 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 you know, I, I was blessed. I was, my brother asked me to teach at his recovery. He works at a men's recovery ministry. He's actually uh, uh, the director of um, uh, uh, communications and development. And, and I, was, I was blessed. And, and some of you know this. You know, I was raised up in Jeremy, Camp, Jeremy Camp's dad's church. And I was given an opportunity to teach on discipleship. And when I started looking at discipleship, because discipleship has really been on my heart heavy for the last two years. And Tom says, well, John, I'm coming with the word. Praise God. You got to give them the word. But you have to teach people how to be in healthy relationship. Healthy relationship. I'm not talking about superficial. I'm talking about safe, healthy relationships. And you know, it was interesting because I could feel some, I could just feel like ironing was sharpening iron. And I can't go into the detail in that. But I realize, and I say this in my own life, that in the midst of being in the ministry, it doesn't mean that I am in fellowship all the time with my brothers and sisters. I, I'm in a lot of activity. God wants us to be in fellowship. So listen, church family, if you are not plugged in into the women's group here at the church or the men's group, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you do this because it will make a difference in your life, okay? That was a side note. Let's go back to the text, okay? Back to... Luke eight forty three says, Now a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years had spent all of her livelihood on physicians that could not be healed by any, came from behind and touched the border of his garment. I actually like the hem of his garment. I, I actually went on YouTube, and I, and I know that there's some old song, and if anybody's interested, there's an old gospel song out, Touching the Hem of His Garment, by Sam Cooke. And I would highly recommend you Google that one. You're probably going to have to be at least 40, though. I'm going to warn you, because it's old school, okay? But you will be blessed by that, okay? You will be blessed by that. So she had this issue of blood for 12 years. Now, now personally, you know, I, I, I'm not a female, right? Amen? Amen? So I had to go online, and certainly I had to ask my wife and talk a little bit, because my wife is a professor, and in fact, she's transitioning to the engineering department from the biology department, but she taught on anatomy and physiology for years. And, you know, the first thing that my wife says is, is that this woman definitely became an Anemic. And what's really bad, in fact, let me just read this clip. It says, especially in a society with an iron poor diet and was likely chronically tired from the resulting decrease in her stamina. I've never had a flow of blood. But I can tell you sometimes that I have these emotions inside of me that if I don't manage them, They begin to manage me, and guess what? I become just like her. And you know why that is? It's because I've lost my focus. I've lost my focus. Obviously, her general health was really poor. But here is what really caught my attention. And I've read this text many times over the years. I will tell you that, that I've lost a lot of people in my life. So there was times in my walk with God I would stay away from these texts because it deals with death. But the real reason that she had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had was not her unpredictable and prolonged menstrual periods her desperation come from the fact that she could not have children. To be infertile in a culture where motherhood was the supreme female virtue hung a cloud not only over her current life, but also over the future prospects. In such societies, one's security in old age came from one's family. To be childless was to confront on a daily basis the likelihood of a very grim and lonely future. When I discovered this, it really put this text in perspective. The second devastating consequence for this woman was that she was perpetually unclean according to the Levitical law. Even though most Americans don't talk about menstruation in polite company, we do not regard menstruating women as impure persons. We do not categorize them as unclean and banish them from our company. We do not exclude them from Sunday worship and other religious events. In the 1st century Palestine, however, other rules applied. Social behavior was controlled by rules of cleanliness that were deeply embedded in religious practice and belief. These rules were particularly important and strict, especially at the temple in Jerusalem. To have near constant bleeding for 12 years in a society where such rules were rigorously enforced would be awful. You would be constantly unclean. And let me stop for a moment. Isn't that what sin is? Doesn't sin make us constantly unclean if we're not touching the hem of his garment? Those who knew about your condition would not welcome you. You could not participate in religious services or activity. An accident of a menstrual hygiene could disrupt your household at a great inconvenience to those living with you. The burden of 12 years of such uncleanliness would have been overwhelming. Furthermore, if her husband was a righteous man, he wouldn't have come near her due to her impurity. She was cut off, just like the lepers. So the impact of this story is a lot louder, I think, Than what the text reveals, unless we dig into the culture, we now understand why this woman was desperate to find Jesus. She was ostracized. She was pressing in in a community or in in a a crowd, pressing. And what's intriguing is, is, is she's making her way through this crowd. She's not allowing nothing to stop her. And family, can we all say there's things actually in our life that stop us from getting to Jesus sometimes? And what's intriguing is, is the text actually says, she came in verse 44, it says, she came from behind and touched the border of his garment. And, and immediately her flow of blood Stopped. Jewish men wore tassels of blue, twisted cords on the corner of their outer garments as a reminder that they were to obey God's commandments. It's written in Numbers fifteen thirty-seven through 40. And again, the, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel. Tell them to make tassels on the corner of their garments throughout their generations and to put blue thread in the tassels of the corners. And you shall have the tassel that you may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them. The Bible always interprets the Bible, folks. And here's what's intriguing. Is there some scholars out there that actually say, in fact, uh, let me just quote this text, and then I'll go back to that. Matthew 23, 5. But all their works they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries, broad, and they enlarge the borders of their garments. There are some scholars that actually believe that, that, the, that, the, that, the, that the Pharisees, would, would, they would. We see, because this is Jesus saying this, they would enlarge the, the borders, but that they would actually grow the tassels even longer. And obviously, we know that that, that would grow, or that would draw attention to the Pharisees, right? Anybody in here like attention? Come on everybody put your hand up. Okay? As believers and certainly I fall short of this, but as believers and followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we want to that we're wa- we want to make sure that we're walking circumspectly. We want to make sure that that our witness is glorifying God and not drawing attention to ourselves. I know that I fall short in that. In verse 45, and Jesus said, who touched me? And now I want to talk about something that, well, I have to say that probably many of us in this room struggle with, including myself. And what we see here in verse 45, and Jesus said, who touched me? So what we see here is what I would call a holy interruption. It wasn't the lady who interrupted what was going on. It was Jesus because he noticed that the power was going out of her. And he said, who touched me? Remember that flesh throngs and faith touches The word interrupt, dictionary.com. To cause or make a break in the uh, continuity or, or uniformity of a course, a process, or a condition. To break off or cause to cease as in the middle of something. To stop a person in the midst of doing or saying something. Was there any flags waving? Is there anybody in here that struggles with interruptions in your lives? Come on. Put up your hand if you, if you do. Okay. Hmm. I don't do well with interruptions myself. Specifically when, when I have my John's agenda and John's schedule, John tends to think that like my wife is in my head. I do. Like she's supposed to know that, you know, we're leaving at this time and I'm not communicating, right? You're laughing, Marcus. Why are you laughing, buddy? (laughs) Right? Brad, how about you, man? (laughs) Brad's shaking his head. Chip, how about you back there, man? (laughs) He said amen. The question I have to ask you guys is how do you do with them? What do you do with those interruptions? And you know, I was really blessed and, 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 and I, discovered, I discovered this nugget that I want to share and it's not from my life, but it's, it's from the life of Pastor Chuck Smith. Okay? And Pastor Chuck Smith of Calvary Chapel was asked years ago about interruptions. His response was, I just pray, Lord, give me patience when I'm interrupted. Because I plan on being interrupted. If I plan on being interrupted, then I cannot be interrupted. Okay? It's only when I don't expect to be interrupted that I can be interrupted. I anticipate I will be interrupted. Therefore, no one can interrupt me. I think that's a good methodology, right? Can we all say amen to that? C.S. Lewis wrote, The great thing, if one can, is to stop regarding all the unpleasant things as interruptions of one's own or real life. The truth is, of course, that what one calls the interruptions are precisely one's real life. The life God is sending one day by day. What one calls one's real life is a phantom of one's own imaginations. Dylan Burroughs, he's a Christian apologetic teacher. He said this. When Jesus was interrupted, he started where he was and helped those in need who were nearest to him. There is always another mission out there, the next cause, the next city, or the next country that seems to be the most important mission we could pursue. Jesus illustrates that our greatest mission is is often the person in front of us. Hmm. So we have this holy interruption. When all denied it, verse 45, Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitudes throng and press you, and you say, who touched me? Imagine that, the Galilean, Peter, always speaking out of turn, always the loudest and the boldest. And he's saying, what do you mean? They're thronging you, master. I love Peter. I can identify with Peter. Can anybody else in here? Okay, yes, that's great. The text goes on. It says, it says now when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. Notice, by the way, jumping back up to the verse before that. What stopped Jesus and interrupted Jesus? Was it the touch or was it her faith? Remember, we started off, if you go back to the last verse of chapter 7, talking about faith, because that's where we're at in Luke. Okay, We're talking about testing of faith. Verse 47, she came trembling, falling down before him. She declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. You know, this woman did not want to be noticed. She wanted to get in there. She wanted to touch the garment and get her healing. Okay? Now, don't forget if you go back, what, a couple chapters or maybe it's just seven. You know, remember the the widow's son who was resurrected from the dead? Or I better say, I better not say resurrected. I better say resuscitated. Right? Because we're all going to be resurrected, right? But she didn't want to be noticed. She wanted to get in there and touch his garment and get out there, right in the midst of the crowd, right? You guys know what Jesus said. Jesus said, "If you you be ashamed to men about me, I'll be ashamed of you before the Father." Because what this is talking about here is testimony. Jesus, I believe, wanted her to give her testimony and to proclaim what he had done. And I'm going to tell you why. Because Jairus, Jairus, he was standing right there listening. His little girl was dying. Because in the next text, we're going to learn that they come to him and say, she is dead. Okay. Folks, Jesus father the lord the creator of the universe if he has saved you he desires for you to share with others what he has done in your life but when i say the word testimony you you can't have a testimony if you don't first have a test Because that's where faith and that's where God's power is exercised in our lives. And by the way, hear me out. You know, God did um, and continues to do a mighty work in my life. But if I go back a long time ago and I'm always given that broken record story of this is what he did. and, And there's nothing new. I have to check to see if I am in the faith. I have to check to see if I might have left my first love. Because we see that in Revelation. If Jesus put it there, guess what? It is possible. Okay. Jarius is listening. He is listening. Why did the Lord ask her to give her witness publicly? Wasn't it an embarrassment to her? What Jesus did privately in her life, he now wants her to tell publicly. You never know who's listening, folks, okay? And I do have a have a, a little nugget that I hold near and dear to my heart. You know, the, the gospel isn't something that I just receive one time and go about my business. It needs, to be living, it needs to be a message that's impacting my life on a daily basis, right? I have learned in my life and through my studies that if I am not sharing that gospel, I come to a place of taking inventory of my walk with the Lord. And I find That oftentimes my time with him has gone down, and that message isn't working the way it was. Why would we share a message if it wasn't first working in us? (gasps) Right? Right? James 2. You don't need to go there. 2:17 says this: it says, "Thus also by fa- faith by itself, if it does not have works is dead, we see that this is what is happening here. We know in Revelation 12: 11 it says, "And they overcome him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, they did not love their lives to death." When was the last time you shared your testimony? I have to ask myself, when was the last time I shared my testimony? You know, I'm really blessed because I, I work at a rescue mission. And, so, and I get to do that a lot. Okay? But I can't always use that as an excuse. I have to think, when did I share it in the community? Verse 48 says, and he said to her, daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. She worshiped and she glorified God. Jesus said, daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. The Greek there is the Greek word sozo. When it says made well, or or maybe in your version, it may say made be whole. Guess what it actually means? It means that she was saved. Not just made whole physically, but spiritually. And by the way, he said, go in peace. I have to ask myself a question, do I have peace? Or I have to ask myself a question is, where am I going? She had to be saved because Jesus wouldn't have said just go in peace because we have to make first peace with God so we can have the peace of God, right? The text continues on and it says, While he was still speaking, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house saying to him, your daughter is dead, do not trouble the teacher. But when Jesus heard it, he answered saying, do not be afraid, only believe, and she will be made well. She will be made well. It's clear that that he had some fear in his life. Folks, we know the word of God says to us, it says that God has not given us the spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound mind. It also says that perfect love casts out all fear because fear involves torment. The Word does not teach that fear is not going to come into our lives. It is going to come. But how do we combat that? Faith, right? So he says, do not be afraid, only believe. I wish I had another hour, but I don't. Because those words, only believe, is where I finally surrender my life to Jesus Christ. I had a knowledge of God, but I denied the power thereof. I received a letter from somebody at a church, and they said, John, listen, you know the word, you preach the word, but you don't believe it. And at at that moment, my heart was cut, it was broken, and I I heard that still, small voice, read the Gospels, focus on the word, believe. It means to entrust your spiritual well-being to Christ. That's as simple as I can put it. And I studied the gospel and you know what happened? So I came to believe. But I still have to say, Lord, help my unbelief. Jesus, when he said she would be made well, is the same indication that not only was the woman with the flow of blood made whole. When I say whole, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually. But this little girl She was made whole the same way. And remember her dad or her daddy? He was a Jew. So guess what happened to that family after that little girl got saved? The whole family was converted because it only takes one, just one. It's happening in my family. Is it happening in yours? Just one. But you got to walk it out. You got to have some humility. You got to be vulnerable. And folks, you got to be in fellowship. You got to be in fellowship. The text goes on. It says here, when he came to the house, he permitted no one to go in except Peter, James, and John. And by the way, interesting enough, there's three times in the Gospels that Peter, James, and John got to go be with Jesus when nobody else did. That's a whole other time frame. One is the Mount of Transfiguration. Now all wept and mourned for her, but he said, do not weep. She is not dead, but sleeping, okay? We know that, that in the, uh, the Mishnah, okay, in, 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 their, in their law books, it was the law, basically, that, that, that if you were poor, if you were poor and somebody died, you had to actually have a minimum of two flute players and one mourner. It was not an option. So so we know we know when it says mourn here, this is not singular, this is this this is plural. So this indicates that, that he, he he definitely was a man of wealth. And and we know that that when 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 they would begin mourning, that was kinda like the alarm for the community that somebody had actually died. It would have the flute players going and the mourners and they would be wailing and the sad thing is is check out what happens next. Jesus said, don't weep. She is not dead but sleeping and they ridiculed him knowing that she was dead. They actually began to mock Jesus. And in verse 54, he, he said, but he put them all out of, outside. And listen, if Jesus Put the scorners and the mockers outside. There might be times in our own lives that we have to put the scorners and the mockers outside for a season. Because people will come and they will mock. If you're really walking it out, they will mock you. Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted for my namesake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But there are times that we have to do it. The text goes on, and unfortunately, I'm going to have to close. It says, but he put them all outside, took her by the hand, and called, saying, little girl, girl, arise, or in Mark, it says, Talitha Kumi, which is Aramaic, he spoke, and dependent upon what scholar you read, it, it does mean little girl, arise, or it actually, some scholars say it means little lamb, arise, which is a beautiful picture. Then her spirit returned. She rose immediately. He commanded that she be given something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Her spirit returned. Jesus commanded them to give her something to eat. Obviously, she was sick. She couldn't eat, okay? And so I close with this question. I'm out of time, folks. Jesus is passing by again this morning. Don't miss him. Reach out and touch the hem of his garment. And I have a final question. Will you remain part of the crowd? Or will you reach out and grab the hem of his garment? Remember, family, faith without works is dead. Let us close in prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, Luke, Dr. Luke, Father God, in this text. And Lord, we thank you for speaking to us in many different ways this morning, Father. Lord, I I would ask, God, that, that you would deepen our convictions with you, Father, and that you would take us into the deep things of God, that you would grow us in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, for those that are in this room that have struggled, to be in fellowship. I would pray, Father, that you would impart strength and courage and tenacity, Father, for them to step out in faith and get connected. And then, God, I would also ask for those that are in the sanctuary here, Father, that are in fellowship. I would pray if there's just one person that you would have them connect with, that you would bring that to their mind and that they would step out in faith. And God, I would also ask, God, that you would fill us with your spirit, Lord, and and empower us, Lord, by faith, to touch the hem of your garment. Lord, we lift up our pastor to you and his family, and God, we would ask that you would continue to bless them. I pray that they have rested. I pray, God, that there is revival. I pray that you would grant traveling mercies. Lord, help us to glorify you, in word thought indeed this day. We look forward to your soon coming. We love you in Jesus' name, Amen.